Welcome to Season 8 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and through our partnership with Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Mr. Duct, Chicagoland's premier comprehensive air duct cleaning and ventilation for residential and commercial properties. Their motto is simple. They're upfront and honest. Find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. This week, we feature the colorful and engaging head football coach at the University of Illinois, Brett Bielema. You know, when you have success, you get the moment of feeling gratification and where it is, but you probably don't bring to light all the things that could have brought you failure. But when you do have failure, it magnifies all the things you did wrong by a thousand. And, and um, I've really taken that moment. I, I think now going into my 15th year as a head coach, uh, I know this, I'm the best version of myself that's ever been. And, and um, I know that because I just can see the things that happen around me and the, the people we've surrounded ourselves with and, and hopefully they're gonna take this program to an even higher height next year. Like many successful coaches, Brett Bielema's resume looks that of a traveling salesman. From Iowa to Kansas, Wisconsin, Arkansas, Massachusetts, New York, and now Champaign, Bielema has left a mark, and a pretty good one at that. He made history at Wisconsin and has worked alongside New England's iconic coach, Bill Belichick. Now in his third season at Illinois, Bielema has lifted the school out of a doldrum and for that received a lucrative contract extension. A native of a small town in northwest Illinois, Bielema grew up with Hogs, Harry Carey, and is as familiar with the letter B as you are with the sun rising in the east. So, Brett Bielema, tell me a story I don't know. You know, George, uh, it's been one of my, really since I was first given the opportunity, I, I sang the uh, Cubs seventh inning stretch back in 2000, I believe six or seven, um, when I was a head coach at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, I just got done on my first year and uh, had a successful campaign, 12 and one. I was getting a lot of opportunities to do different things. And the Cubs got wind that I was a, a Cubbies fan and, and reached out and asked if I would like to sing the seventh inning stretch. And I jumped all over it. So it's really been a lifelong passion. up on the farm as you mentioned and and during our noon break uh, my dad was a Cardinals fan so he always had the uh, uh, Cardinals games on and then my grandfather my grandpa Bielema was a, a big Cubbies fan uh, I remember his cubby hat that he used to wear and everything from A to Z and that probably kind of grandfathered me into uh, my affiliation and, and uh, fondness of the Cubbies now that we have today since my first year they used to actually put you out on a ledge uh, that was you know way above the stadium um, but there was no railings on us. He literally walked out to a little, probably a 10 foot by 10 foot uh, surface with no railings. It was just cameras and lights hanging over the edge. And it was always kind of a little freaky because I'm not a, a big fan of heights. But now they actually have the indoors. You get to practice with the organist uh, before the before the before the uh, opportunity comes up. So uh, it's a much more refined process now. I'm well aware with it. Believe me, I started covering the Cubs in 1978. That ballpark looks a lot different now than it did then. It is. Uh, it's been awesome. And actually kind of a, 
a byproduct of why I become such. I was actually, you know, growing up in a small town uh, uh, in gym class. I was literally probably the first guy taken in every whether we were playing volleyball, basketball, soccer ball, you name it. But when it came to baseball, I was literally the last guy picked every time. I could not play the game, <laughs> couldn't hit a ball to save my uh, tail. But my dad was a really good player growing up. A lot of times when I'm back home and around my father's friends and people that I grew up hearing about how great a baseball player my dad was, uh, the Cardinals and the Pirates, and I believe the Cubs all came to my dad's farm trying to get him to come throw for him. But uh, it just wasn't in the deck of the cards. My dad didn't go to college and uh, was was staying at home with my grandfather at the time. So it catapulted uh, my probably fan of baseball. And then my college roommate, Chris Green, actually married Bob Gephardt's daughter, mm. uh, uh, who actually became the GM of the Rockies. And their wedding was in Rocky Stadium. And that met I let it, met a lot of Walt Jockety, other people around in pro baseball. And uh, in my earlier years, before my wife and I crossed paths, every summer I used to go to a different ballpark to – taking a, a baseball weekend and kind of just enjoy the experience. Oh, that's a lot of fun. I want to go back to the letter B. This is no joke. You have two brothers named Bart and Barry, two daughters named Briella and Brexley. You worked with Bill Belichick. An Arkansas radio guy named Bo debuted a series entitled Being Brett Bielema. So what happened to the other 25 letters in the alphabet? Yeah, you know, it started <laughs> back with my parents, right? We've all been... I'm a fascinated, I've always been fascinated with names. Um, so you mentioned my brother Bart and my brother Barry. Uh, uh, I also have a sister Betsy and a Betsy and a, and a little sister Brandy. So we were the five <laughs> Bs, uh, Bart, Betsy, Barry, Brett, Brandy. Um, uh, I, I always, you know, when I'm recruiting, I always ask players when they're with their parents, you know, how did you come about the name? What's the middle name? What's the significance? Because the name is truly the one thing that you're given in life before you're born that you have obviously no say in. Uh, and, and a lot of times it, in my perspective, I always say this, your name is the only thing you're given at birth that costs you nothing, but you carry your whole life and only you build value to it. And, and I think it's a very unique perspective. So my brother Bart and I were also uh, kind of named after Bart and Brett Maverick. Maverick. Starring James Garner and Jack Kelly. Who is the tall, dark stranger there? Maverick is the name. That's the catalyst of our names. And then, uh, um, you know, my brother Barry, uh, who still lives down the area I grew up in, my sister Betsy, who's with us only in spirit. We unfortunately lost her early in life. My little sister Brandy, her daughter is my godchild, who's getting married. So it's come full circle. Wow. I also mentioned hogs. And in this case, not the ones you coached in Arkansas, because you grew up on an 80-acre farm in Prophetstown, Illinois. What was that like? Welcome to Prophetstown. Rich with colorful history and natural beauty your whole family can enjoy. If you've been looking for paradise, look no further. Prophetstown, practically perfect. It was, uh, it was a unique experience. Um, it's only what you know. I always tell our coaches, right, players only know what they've experienced. They only know the environment they've grown up in. So you have kids coming from the farm that know the farm life, kids coming from the city, comes kids coming from different countries. I had a, a player yelled at for Holt who was drafted and, and still playing the NFL who was from Denmark, uh, really my first player of a foreign country that we drafted and recruited. But um, I wouldn't trade anything I grew up with uh, for where I am today. I, I think the the value of hard work, um, putting in an honest day's work for an honest day pay. Uh, I used to get up early and go to 
do chores with my my father before anybody else was really up and moving. I remember everybody other, every other kid in my high school talking about Saturday mornings, getting up late and going to the mall or doing something fun all day. And my dad literally got us up before 6 a.m. every day. And we worked all day Saturday and part of Sunday to get where we needed to be. So I wouldn't have traded it in for what I know today for anything. Farm life is very interesting. It's it's changed dramatically over the course of time now in, in how farmers are really struggling. But that is a very interesting life. I grew up in a city. I grew up in Chicago. I don't know what farm life is like, but you have had the opportunity of knowing both sides of this fence. It has. It's been awesome. I, I think about, you know, I grew up, that's all I knew. Um, I grew up on a little town outside, a little farm outside. I actually lived in the Quad Cities till I was about five years old. And we moved out to the country and uh, that's what I grew up knowing. And then when I remember distinctly coming back the first time and when I was in college with my my college roommates, my best friends, and uh, I distinctly remember uh, Ted Velser, who was an offensive lineman from Green Bay, Wisconsin. He was with us. Uh, I had another uh, really good friend, Paul Cuyaba, who's from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Jimmy Hartley from Woodstock, Chris Green from Marshalltown, Iowa, and Alan Cross, who uh, came from San Diego, California. I brought them all home. And we walked into our farrowing unit, which was um, basically our our uh, a herd of hogs. Uh, the females were having babies. And I had grown up in a world where when they were having babies and you saw them having complications, sometimes you had to assist uh, with the birth of, of pigs. And I remember I went down, put a glove on, and soaked up and reached inside and pulled out a baby pig. And then I pulled two more out right away. And, and it was something I grew up knowing exactly what I had to do and how I had to do it. And I I turned around and looked at my college roommates, and I think Ted Velser, who was about 320 pounds plus, uh, was literally sitting on a bale of hay because he was about passed out from watching that experience. <laughs> I just, you know, it goes to show you know what you know, but those people that didn't know it were absolutely mesmerized about what was happening. It was just a way of life for me. Football, by the way, has been so much a way of life for you, and it really began at an early age, didn't it? It did. Uh, my older brother, Bart, was a really good high school football player. Uh, and, and you know, I kind of idolized him growing up and, and watching him and his teammates and his classmates uh, have success and what football did for them. I followed him down the wrestling path as well. And then my sister was actually a really good track athlete. She ran track at Illinois State. So I was kind of around athletics. Uh, really, the first athletic event I was really involved in was a swimming team, the Provostown Piranhas. Uh, and uh, uh, became really intrigued by competition. I think one of the things I remember early on in my life is I always wanted to go play with my older brothers and my older siblings. And no matter what the situation, I wanted to be involved. And I think that really kind of gave grassroots to the competitive level that I have today and 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 it really had throughout my entire playing and coaching career. Prophetstown is much closer to Iowa than Illinois. So you were heavily recruited by the legendary Iowa coach Hayden Fry. Yeah, I wouldn't say recruited too heavily. I recruited him. Um, oh! <laughs> I, I, I uh, uh, came from a small town. Provincetown was uh, a really small uh, school, two-way high school that, um, you know, we we had good athletics and a good program. I was a good student, but I actually ended up walking on at the University of Iowa. I always say Illinois never offered me, but nobody else did either. I ended up uh, being, uh, in my opinion, an under-recruited, underdeveloped uh, uh, player that found an opportunity at the University of Iowa and gravitated to that, uh, went there, walked on, earned a scholarship, became a multi-year starter, had a wonderful NFL career. I was with the Seahawks for seven days before they decided to cut me. <laughs> um, and that really, that was the catalyst that drove me to Hayden Fry offered me an opportunity to start coaching for him. And that, that that's really where it all began. 
Well, what did you learn from Coach Fry that sent you to the next level? You know, uh, Coach was a player's coach. I remember, you know, as a defensive player in his on his roster, he really never coached us up that much, but he was a great motivator. I would, I remember getting out of team meetings on Friday night and be ready to run through a brick wall for him. Um, he was a player's coach, highly motivated, uh, and really gave me a taste for what I wanted to become. And then, uh, you know, I was able to stay there and work for him. Uh, I was very few, very fortunate, to my knowledge. I was the only guy that ever played for him, was a captain for him, became a graduate assistant for him, and then worked for him. Um, he had a lot of former players that found their way through the system, but there were breaks in that. I was the only one that kind of went through the whole system. And uh, I still carry a note in my my briefcase today that uh, was a note he gave me when he retired. And, and he basically said, uh, 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 he always used to spell my name Brett with two T's. Well, it only has one. And his, his uh, uh, expression was the reason he always spelled it with two T's is because he knew I always kicked, kicked a little bit of butt. Um, and huh. he put a little note in there that said, be prepared for the moment to be the head coach that you're going to be. Uh, and don't be surprised when you get there. And that, that was a really defining moment for me. I had just lost him as my head coach, my mentor, didn't really even have a job, but Kirk Ferentz retained me. And I learned a lot of things through Kirk, but then I went and worked for Bill Snyder at Kansas state who had also been a legacy of coach Fry. And then I ultimately went to the University of Wisconsin with Barry Alvarez, who had also been a legacy under Coach Fry. He was his linebacker coach. So my four biggest mentors in the college profession all came out of that Hayden Fry tree. And it's fun now for me. I've had a number of guys that have gone on to become head coaches out of the coaching tree that I've established. And it's kind of you see a lot of those same similarities, and that's a lot of fun. After that stop at Kansas State, you arrived in Madison as the defensive coordinator and then two years later, Barry Alvarez decided to become the school's athletic director. You became head coach and the first in Wisconsin to win his first eight games and the first to win 10 in the Big Ten. And then you were named conference coach of the year. Was there ever a time, coach, where you said to yourself, eh, don't get cocky? You know, um, I kind of just, as the season progressed, I knew we were a good football team. I don't ever really try to think big picture. I just try to get better uh, every game. Brett Bielema, about to become the first Big Ten coach ever to win 10 games in his first year as a head coach. And lead them to just their second 10-win regular season in school history at Wisconsin. And uh, we actually ended up finishing 12-1 that year and set all kinds of records and what it was. And next year we went, uh, I believe, 9-3, and three, then lost our bowl game, so we went 9-4. and four, And then we went into a 7-win season. And that year was probably the first time of adversity in my life as a head coach that I knew we needed to change and transition. And that Next year, we won 10 games, uh, beat Miami in a, a a bowl game, which was a catalyst of then three straight Big Ten championship seasons. And I, I really have believed this now, right? Like everybody feels that you win and you learn in moments of success. But as a man, I think in general, we learn more through our moments of failure than success. And that 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 probably taught me that lesson more than anything. 12-1 was fun, learned a lot, but I actually learned more in the seven and six year that was a catalyst to get us to three straight Big Ten championships and Rose Bowls. You know, I think that philosophy is probably shared by a lot of coaches, that they learn more through losses than they do through wins. Because when you lose, you have to improve. Yeah, it, it's it, without a doubt been the greatest lesson for me. And I, I, to be quite honest, we use it all the time with our coaches and our players. Um you know, when you have success, you get the moment of feeling gratification and where it is, but you probably don't bring to light all the things that could have brought you failure. But when you do have failure, it magnifies all the things you did wrong by a thousand. And and 
Um, I've really taken that moment. I, I think now going into my 15th year as a head coach, uh, I know this, I'm the best version of myself that's ever been. And, and um, I know that because I just can see the things that happen around me and the, the people we've surrounded ourselves with and, and hopefully are going to take this program to an even higher height next year. Yeah, it's funny. I was just thinking when you were talking about that, Joel Quenville, when he was with the Blackhawks, and he always said this. He said, we're in the winning business. Coaches are in the winning business. So you learn from a loss, but the bottom line is you've got to win. Without a doubt. I think, George, you mentioned at the beginning, obviously I've been very fortunate to uh, be awarded another contract here at the University of Illinois, and it's one that um, has kind of got some uh, additions and, and ability for me to stay here as long as we truly want to be here, as long as we're having success. And I, I understand that this is a winning business, but we literally just had the best academic GPA in the history of the program for our scholarship players. Um, uh, and, and I think the combination of having our guys have academic success with football success uh, on the heels of one of the best seasons we've had here in a long time really gets me excited about where this program is going. This interview with Coach Bielema was conducted before the scandal at Northwestern erupted. Here's what he had to say about his program during Big Ten Media Day. You know, I've been a head coach 15 years, and, uh, you know, I think about what I learned as a player, as an assistant, uh, and it's so important in today's world to stay on top of everything that touches our players' life, right? Not only when they're in the building. We literally have some things on the doors when you're walking in and walking you're out that kind of give you a way to think about where you're at and what you're doing. And, you know, we get our players heavily involved. I literally don't recruit or have official visits on our campus unless all of our players are there because our players are our greatest representatives of what we want. When's the last time you had your air ducts cleaned? Here's the best solution, Mr. Duct, a name Chicagoland has trusted for over 20 years. They work on your furnaces, air conditioners, and do repairs, maintenance, and installations. In other words, they're your all-around company for air quality choice and more. Mr. Duct provides on-site commercial ventilation cleaning estimates. You'd be hard-pressed to find better. So give them a call at 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And Mr. Duct is the right choice to clean your residential dryer vents. They do a full inspection to make sure your dryers are running properly. Mr. Duct works with schools, health facilities, and office buildings to make sure you're breathing clean air. Their testimonials are endless, and with good reason. So don't think twice when you're ready to work on air ducts, dry vents, and so much more. Just think Mr. Duct. Duct, 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. You left Madison after six years. There's a story out there that says part of the reason was that your assistants were underpaid. Is that fact or fiction? You know, it was probably the number one driving uh, force for why I left. We'd been the head coach mm. there. I'd been there seven years, three straight bowl games or three straight championships. That hadn't been done since the 60s, and it's never been done since I've left. And and I think um, it was just a, the sign of the times then. Uh, Wisconsin was a great program, great place. Uh, they were paying me uh, uh, very well, but I had lost several assistants over several years that just were going for higher salaries. They loved the job where they were and what they wanted to do, but uh, they were coaches that that you know were taking care of their families, and the difference between two hundred thousand and four hundred thousand uh, was a lot of money as it is today. So uh, that was the biggest part of it. Um, also, I was newly married to my wife, Jen. Uh, uh, her and I had been married a year. We hadn't had children yet, and I think for me as a man, I wanted to 
uh, do something with my wife, kind of a step forward in a journey together. So those were two of the biggest reasons. And uh, but it also money doesn't bring you happiness. I, I do remember those coaches that I brought with me that I was able to finally pay now and get them. Uh, many of those had moved on uh, to either head coaching titles. I lost Charlie Partridge became the head coach at FAU. Chris Ash became the head coach at Rutgers. Um, I lost some coaches on opportunities to uh, advance their careers. And that's part of being a good coach. You have good coaches underneath you that get opportunities, but it was a great learning lesson as well. Why did you end up in Arkansas? You know, just, just the, I, I felt I had done the big 10 for so long. I'd been a player. I'd been a, uh, an assistant. I'd been a coordinator. Uh, I'd been a head coach um, and the opportunity to go to Arkansas. And I, I, at the time really felt that it was an opportunity that I, I, I wanted to take on. I'd always, witness and watch the SEC from afar. I'd never been a part of it. Um, and it was a lot of great success there. I think in our five years, the relationships I built, the lessons we learned are really a huge part of why there's been success here at Illinois. Um, Arkansas is a great place with great people. And, and uh, we, you know, we went there my first year, went three and nine. Then we went to three straight bowl games, won two of those three games. Um, unfortunately, my fifth year, we uh, fell short of what our goals were and they, they, they wanted to make a change, which everybody has the opportunity to do that. But it really allowed me to leave there and, and and move into the NFL and then give a three-year career in the NFL that really is the biggest probable reason why I've had the success we've had now at, at Illinois. It, it gave me the experience of a, a, mount, a manageable roster from the NFL. I was with Belichick for two years, and that really uh, taught me a lot of things that I'm using in today's world as a coach here at the University of Illinois. You just mentioned how they made a change at Fayetteville, yet you told reporters you were fired on the field after a loss. This sounds really galling to me. Obviously, you guys probably heard the news about me, so I was informed uh, uh, coming off the field that uh, no longer be the coach at Arkansas. So never been let go in my entire life, so this is a first for me. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions about that. I was given the uh, the letter in, in the locker room after the game, uh, but I had had some meetings during the course of the week leading up to that. I didn't know what direction they were going to actually go. Uh, but I know that it was an option. And when we lost that game, uh, you know, that was a, a, a choice that they made. They had actually uh, let the athletic director, Jeff Long, go a, a few uh, few weeks, maybe a month ahead of where where they let me go. So I knew there was some transition. And and like I said, Arkansas is a, a great place so with great people, uh, a lot of pride. I have several of my former players here that are working for me now. Um, and again, uh, kind of like we said earlier in this conversation that, you know, as a coach, you learn more from your moments of adversity than you do have your moments of success. And although in, in three, five seasons, we had three winning seasons uh, and only two loss and losing seasons. And, uh, you know, those those moments have really been a, a big part of what we've done differently here at Illinois to get where we wanted to be. And and uh, allowed us. I still have some great relationships back there, uh, but a life lessons that I learned there at Arkansas and, and the setbacks that we had there are much more controllable here. And and the support system that we have, our athletic director, Josh Whitman, and the support staff on campus, uh, administration, uh, and really the state of Illinois is second to none and a really great place for us. You mentioned Bill Belichick and going to work with him, with the New England Patriots. You actually won a Super Bowl. And this, by the way, for people who don't know this, was before Tom Brady. Tell me a story I don't know. What it was like to work with Belichick. It was a football utopia. Um, I, I I had never been in the NFL as a coach. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, a seven-day playing career, so it wasn't real long. Uh, but as a coach, uh, to go to work every day and, you know, the, it was really football-driven. Um, 
well, I was involved early on and, and throughout the course of the year on evaluations of college players. So that was kind of a unique perspective as well. A lot of those players I either knew, competed against, recruited, or uh, knew something of them because of the college football experience. But I was able to go on the road to go into colleges uh, and first get a firsthand view of evaluating these players for our draft. But the more time I spent in New England and the more I got involved with Coach Belichick and the, and the staff, he gave me a lot of special assignments, a lot of unique opportunities to kind of learn the game uh, from the NFL point of view, which is really uh, quite a bit different than the college world, but also very similar in certain ways. Uh, we're around a lot of great players. As you mentioned, Tom uh, was able to coach defensive uh, uh, players at the highest level and, 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 and basically have great success. We won a Super Bowl my first year there, but also developed relationships that to this day reward us here at the University of Illinois. There's something about, doesn't matter what part of life we're talking about, but in the, in the case of coaches, just like players, there are great players, there are average players, not so average players, and there are coaches who are great coaches. And Bill Belichick obviously has been a great coach. What sets him apart? You know, I, I think his simplicity. Um, coach Belichick is a great communicator. Um, he's, you know, everybody sees the view of him as a as a media person. But what I took from him more than anything was to try and slow the game down for everybody, players and coaches, um, to make it simplistic. Um, everybody tries to put the world into a a clearly defined you know order in a, a black and white world and make things picture perfect clear. But I think he likes the, the gray, right? Like the more gray there is, and the better they understand it, the better off we all can be. And I've uh, taken a lot of great things from him, um, but the simplicity that he approaches the game, both schematically, scheduling, personnel, coaching. Uh, we had one of the smallest coaching staffs in the NFL, so you're really hands-on in a variety of different ways. And I think it just learns to make you appreciate the game and the game we all love to play and coach. Uh, I, I say this all the time. You know, one of the first things I, I remember after getting offered a job at the University of Iowa when I was 22 years old, uh, to become a graduate assistant for Hayden Fry, I got a fortune cookie that said, Confucius says, choose a job you love. You'll never work a day in your life. And, you know, I'm I'm now 53 years old, 31 years later. And uh, I, I truly believe I've, I'm coaching and, and doing things in it professionally that I haven't worked a day in my life. Um, been very fortunate this job has given me and my family opportunities beyond beyond belief. But the relationships I've been able to build, the uh, uh, the relationships and the effect that I've been able to see through young men and their families that I get to deal with on a daily basis are just rewarding a hundred times, a hundred thousand times more than anything I could ever experience. When you said that Coach Belichick made the game simple, the first thing I thought of was, does this mean that there are certain coaches who overcoach that really just make the game simple? I, I think. As a coach, one of the greatest tools we can give our players is to make the game play slower, right? The 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 the, the less thinking, the less uh, processing they got to do before, during, and after a play allows them to play more physical and more fat, uh, a faster pace. So I I do think that there are a lot of coaches that that paralysis through analysis. Maybe they give too much information, or they make things not exactly clear as we want to. For us here in the walls of the University of Illinois, here in the Smith Building in the Smith Center, we try to make our guys play as fast and as physical as they possibly can. They enjoy the game. They love it. Uh, but to play the way we want them to play, we want to make it simple. And that's probably one of the biggest characteristics people find when they come into our building is how fast our guys play because of the way they can process and learn. 
If you want to hear more guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, all you have to do is go to Last Word on Sports on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to the many wonderful interviews we've done dating back to January of 2021. We resume with Brett Bielema on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. You replaced Lovey Smith at Illinois late in 2020. What was it that was so alluring about this job? Why Champaign, where the football program, as you know, doesn't exactly have a resounding history of success? Well, when I grew up, it did. And, and really in the early, late 80s, early 90s, there was a lot of great teams. Uh, I, I was at the University of Iowa on a good football team and Illinois had a great team. I remember coming over here and being in Memorial Stadium for a for a, a Big Ten showdown that decided the Big Ten championship. Your final score, Iowa 54, Illinois 28. The Hawkeyes, the only unbeaten team in the Big Ten. And they made it a convincing show. I, I just always go back to that moment when I walked on this field for the first time as a competitor and saw how loud and 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 proud that stadium was. And and that is a driving force now 20 years later, uh, 30 years later as a, as a player and coach. But I, I, I always used to come into the University of Illinois uh, recruiting uh, uh, world, like in Chicago, downstate, uh, in St. Louis, in, in uh, uh, you know, uh, Western uh, Illinois and, and into Ohio, and we would compete against Illinois in the Midwest. And I was always blown away that they didn't recruit harder in that area because it's the backbone of who they are. I think any great organizations are usually a catalyst of the people that they've been surrounded by. And so to take this job and to really emphasize recruiting in the state of Illinois and all of our bordering states, uh, it's been a big, big part of what I believed in taking the job and a really big part of why we've had success since I've been here. You did. You had an uplifting season in 2022. So a little up and down, but you wound up with an eight and five record. It's the school's first winning record in a decade. So how does the upcoming season look like? You know, what we have to do is strive to get ourselves better. Um, you know, my first year, I said at the end when we were five and seven, I didn't come here to go five and seven. To be quite honest, I didn't come here to go eight and five like we did a year ago. Um, we were a team that came in and, you know, we got on a roll that got us to seven and one. And unfortunately, we lost four of our last five games. And and because of that, I think our guys know and understand now how it takes or what you have to do to win. Uh, but a big step in our program has been it's not necessarily what it takes to win. It's just the desire to not have failure, right? And once you get to a certain level of success, you're driven more by fear of failure than you are the desire to win because the expectation is to win and the expectation is to have success. And the thing you don't want to do is do something that prevents that from happening. And I think that's the greatest sign of great, great programs that have sustainable success is to, to get that, that feeling to permeate throughout your entire program, through every person, through every environment in every building um everything matters on a daily basis right in our program to get where we want to be administratively uh what we do academically what we do socially what we do in the in the weight room in the training room in the nutrition center uh, all of those things matter to get us success on the field and and that's something that's permeated now through our entire athletic department that hopefully continues to get stronger and stronger so why does this season to you at the moment look like it could be a better one than the last one I like where we're at. I like uh, we've got a, a foundation of really good players returning. I think everybody wants to complain about the uh, NIL and transfer portal world. It's been a great asset for us. We've been able to capitalize on it in a great way. Um, a lot of our players who are collective have been able to be 
awarded opportunities that normally wouldn't have been here five, 10 years ago. And that's a, an opportunity that I think to uh, take advantage of their name, image, and likeness. It's really exciting in today's world. I think in our kids today, right, everybody thinks, well, how's a kid different in 2023 than he was in 2003 or 1993 when I graduated from college? Kids are still the same. They just have different venues and outlets uh, through social media and technology that have never been there before. I think you just got to understand the moment, embrace it, enjoy it, uh, love it, and 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 help kids get navigate the same things we had 30, 40 years ago. Um, it's really an exciting time in college football and one that I think our kids and our coaches have truly embraced. I've had this conversation with several college coaches, both football and basketball, and it regards the transfer portal and now the naming and licensing of players. I contend, Coach, that college football and basketball are now professional leagues because the transfer portal, in essence, is free agency. And with players getting paid, they can basically pick the school they think they will earn the most money at. How do you look at it? You know, I, I get it. I understand the conversation. I'm not really privy to those conversations. Uh, our NIL collectives handle all those conversations with our players. But I, I do think the root of players today is they want to be successful. I always say NIL money is instant money. That's what the I stands for. NFL is forever money. Um, it was brought to my attention over the course of last season. I haven't even talked about this year. We just had a corner get taken fifth in the draft. His contract mm -hmm. will be north of $35 million. So we'll keep adding to the, the the group of players that I've coached is now over a billion dollars that they've made in, in NFL money. And that is truly awesome. Um, I love to see players change not only their lives, but their, their families' lives. But college football players are still motivated to come, be developed, uh, play good football, put themselves in a position to have success. There are players that are motivated by money. I get it. That's around us. That's in today's game. But we're looking for the players that want to be great football players that that will get NIL because of the things they get to accomplish, but they're not coming looking for that. They're looking for the opportunity to get a degree and put themselves in a position to play in the NFL. And we've done that as good as anybody in college football. I think I'm ranking now 10th in active coaches about players drafted. Uh, have had over 100, I think we're at about 110 players play in the NFL. So we've had a lot of success. Uh, I've done something in this league to win three straight titles. Nobody in this conference has done ever. Uh, the only person that has done it, was me, and then uh, I'm looking to repeat it to uh, to get to my first year sooner than later. So I know what we're capable of doing. I think that is that's not cockiness; that's confidence. Um, people gravitate to people that are confident, and I know we can do that here at the University of Illinois. And that's what I try to do every day. I'm curious if the portal and the NIL makes recruiting tougher or easier. It's uh, it's perspective. Um, there are certain times where uh, obviously you you have to deal with the portal world that you have to deal with. But one of the great things I'm so super proud of is, you know, there's, there's, you know, roughly 130 division one football teams. And um, we were one of the fewest, I think tied for second on fewest players that left our program. Um, we just don't have a lot of guys that want to leave. We take care of them. We treat them. We coach them. We develop them. Uh, we're, we're one of the hottest teams in the country about developing players since I've been here over the last two years, take guys that were rated as, as undraftable players and turn them into first, second, third round picks. That That's what attracts kids. And uh, that's where we're obviously uh, trying to work to and gravitate more on a daily basis. With all that said, how have you transformed this and other programs you've coached? Because there's a lot that goes into your profession. It's not just X's and O's. And in your case, you're not exactly a shrinking violet. You can be pretty harsh at times. 
Yeah, I think kids kids love honesty. Uh, I always say this: honesty is the best policy. When we bring in young men to visit, uh, we don't try to uh, you know paint a picture that's not clear or try to do something that's not true. We we put ourselves out there and put our best foot forward. And if that's what they want, that's what they'll take. Uh, I tell our coaches, I tell our players all the time: don't don't say something or mislead someone to believe that something that is that's not going to be here. I want the reality to be real, and that's part of the reason we have so many players that stay and don't want to leave is we kind of put the the truth to the to the forefront and and I think young people in today's world want that more now than ever they get lied to deceived uh social media promises and and all these things that never materialize so when they find something that's real something that's attainable something that's genuine I think they gravitate to that and want to stay to it closer than they ever have before so uh, very excited about where we're going I know we're running out of time I would just say I think the part that really has been true here at the University of Illinois is we said what we were going to do. We showed them what we wanted to show them, and they believe in what we're doing, and that's why we've had great success. You mentioned you just signed an extension in Champaign, but you've been a mobile guy during your career. You're only 53. Do you envision another stop in this whirlwind coaching profession? And could I, I, Iowa could Iowa be a stop in your future? No, uh, there's certain <laughs> parts that people really true know my understand my contract. This was a contract that was written and signed with the intention of ending here at the University of Illinois. Illinois football coach Brett Bielema gets a seven-figure raise to stay in Champaign for the foreseeable future. It's a two-year extension to his current deal that will bump his salary up to six million dollars a year. That's a million plus more than he's currently making. The new deal runs through the 2028 season and includes several bonuses, most notable a $500,000 per year retention incentive. You can't have a crystal ball in the future, but uh, I have two beautiful girls that uh, are really just starting school. I started a little bit later in life to uh, have our children and, and Jen and I have built a beautiful home here in Champaign and uh, the reason we signed the contract the way we did with extensions or build off of seasons is to stay right here where we are. I really haven't been mobile. I appreciate uh, the uh, the question and the phrase at the beginning, but, you know, I played at the University of Iowa. I, I started coaching there. I stayed through two head coaches. I left to go to Kansas State, which was my first coordinator job as a co-coordinator at Kansas State. I went to the University of Wisconsin. I was a defensive coordinator. When I took over the program as defense coordinator the year before, they were 85th in the country in defense. I took them to number one in a season. Because of that, I was rewarded a head coaching contract that gave me seven great years at Wisconsin, nine years total. Went to Arkansas for five and, and stayed there as long as I could, right? They made a decision to move on. And then I took the NFL with the expectation to just really try to get my feet in the door or feet wet, experience what it is. But I knew I always wanted to go back uh, so I really now just come back to the University of Illinois, uh, uh, you know, three years ago, going into my third season right now. So in coaching profession, I haven't moved really much at all um, to the outside world. That may sound uh, a little bit mobile, but it, it really truly isn't. So I've been very grounded in where I am and what I'm doing. I made a decision to leave Wisconsin. That was on my decision, which is only based off of the decisions I made. Uh, but that's really the only time in my life where I truly you know, probably went against the norm of what people may have thought I was going to do. So it's is a great place. It's surrounded with great people in, in, in a state that just, uh, I think, excited about Illinois football. Uh, we've been able to take ticket six, season ticket sales to a highest level of, of sales they've been in 20 plus years. So we're really excited about where we're at and where we're going and appreciate the opportunity to come on here and visit with you today. I asked this final question to all my guests, Coach. If not for football, what would you have been? 
You know, I have an, uh, a, my degree was in marketing uh, in the business world, but I think I definitely truly be love being around people. So if I wasn't coaching, I'd probably be involved in some type of athletic realm administratively or the business side of it. I love personnel. So, you know, when the coaching world is done, I've, I've tinkered with the idea of, of athletic directorship and, 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 and GM type on the pro level. Uh, also love being around TV. I love being in, in, in an environment like that. I've been when I was out of coaching, I was approached by every major network to be involved in television broadcasting as a, as a as an analyst or a, a sports commentator. So uh, I am 53. I have a beautiful five year old and four year old daughter who got a lot of time in front of them. And a wife and I love to travel, be around people. So you never know what the world's going to hold. But uh, a lot of great opportunities in front of us and a lot of great work to do here at the University of Illinois. What an absolute pleasure this has been, Coach. You've injected life into the Illinois football program, and it really needed it. And who knows? Maybe there's a Big Ten championship in your future. Continued success, and thank you, Brett Bielema, for telling me a story I don't know. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. ILL. My thanks to the Chicago Cubs, Maverick, courtesy of Warner Brothers, ESPN, The Rich Eisen Show on the Roku Channel, ABC Sports, and WCIA Champagne for those fabulous highlights. And my thanks as always to the people behind the scenes that helped make this wonderful podcast possible. TJ Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics, and to our new partner, Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. And to our presenting sponsor, Mr. Duck. You can find them at mrduckcleaning.com. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote.